Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. Episode 18, and I just want to reiterate before we jump into this, you know, make sure to go on to Apple Podcasts, you know, give us a star rating and a review, you know, we really appreciate it. We will definitely post it on social media, so you'll feel like a star, you know, it just helps us get, get seen and, you know, it just, it means a lot to us. Yes, do it, or Kim will be mad. <laughs> So mad. So today is part two of our first ever hashtag tragic trends shows. And we're talking about hashtag girl boss. But before we get into that, which today is going to be the dark downfall of girl boss, I wanted to tell you and ask you your opinion on something that I think is trending right now, Kim. Hmm. Princess Diana. Have you noticed oh. this? Okay. Okay. I literally, right before we got onto recording, I was on Facebook for whatever reason, and they had this like clip from Netflix about when um, Diana met, um, what's her name? Um, the mistress. Camilla Parker Bowles. Camilla, for the first time in The Crown, and I was riveted. And I don't watch The Crown. Well, I started, I started just because of this. So I, for weeks, was like, Dustin, we should watch The Crown. And he was like, why? And I said, you know, people are talking about it. And he's like, who? And I'm like, no, they are. And he's like, no, you just heard it on NPR. You're confused. And I was like, no, no. All kinds of people are talking about The Crown. And I started like accumulating screenshots of this, right? Mm -hmm. But also I will say two other things. One, um, my absolute favorite podcast, You're Wrong About, did a series about Princess Diana that was great and I already had planted it in my head. At the same time, I think because the this season of The Crown, I think has maybe been out for a few weeks, a month, something like that. I was noticing a lot of people posting photos of Princess Diana on social media. And mm-hmm. I just read a think piece the other day, which it's either from the New Yorker or from the New York Times. I don't know which about the fashion of Princess Diana, specifically her sweaters. Yes. Making a comeback aesthetically. And I was just thinking, yes, I was like that they have to be coming back. That super 80s. Yeah, go on. Yeah, with all the intarsia. And mm-hmm. uh just before we started recording, my friend Jillian was texting me about the sweaters of Princess Diana. Unrelated. Oh I don't even think she's been watching the crown. I'm not she may have been. She may have been. But I said to her, it all makes sense to me yes. because those sweaters are so cottage core. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the nostalgia is right there too. We all know the nostalgia is really Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because there's this nostalgia for a time in which most of us were very small children or not even born yet. And I think that's so fascinating and kind of speaks to where we are in 2020, right? That we're looking back on yeah. Princess Diana as the good old days. 
Yeah, right. When <laughs> reality, you know, <laughs> cell phones in, in, in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so crazy. So, well, I'm glad to see it's not just me who thinks this is a trend because, um, as you know, the only other person I get to talk to every day disagreed with me. <laughs> That's true. No, it definitely. He doesn't know trend. anything. It, it's, it's totally a trend. But speaking of iconic women, mm-hmm. today we're going to be talking about girl boss. And I thought we could just sort of – let's kind of recap where we've been, right? Mm-hmm. So Kim told us all about – how Girl Boss came to be and sort of the climate that it developed in. And I guess we have Sheryl Sandberg to thank for most of us. It's Sheryl Sandberg, but also just, you know, women working their way into the workforce and like, mm-hmm. you know, being able to finally start being their own bosses and, you know, and, and having their professional careers, you know, being able to start growing in this atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And we're already starting to see. So, Girl boss is ostensibly feminism, right? Although you had a really great quote, uh, if you want to share that again, from Sophia about <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, well, maybe girl boss is a new word for feminism. Yes, yes. So the implication <laughs> is that maybe girl boss is superior to feminism, but it's very feminism adjacent at the at the very least. Mm-hmm. And we're already starting to see that there. It's it's not built on a solid foundation because there's a lot of privilege involved, both economically and racially, as in most of these emerging girl bosses are white. They come from a privileged background. And they're kind of saying like, no, my number one priority is women running companies, not thinking about people of color, right? We're not thinking about yeah. systemic racism at all. We're saying no. this is a one note movement and that that note exactly. is women are going to run the show, right? And actually, you know what's really interesting is I was trying to – I was pulling some images to use for social of, you know, like kind of, you know, nostalgic women like in um, in pop culture from, you know, the 80s and 90s. And I was having a really hard time finding, you know, a woman of color. I was like – I was I had, I had all these polls and I'm like, oh, my God, all my favorite movies. And it was all white ladies. And I was like, oh, man. I'm like, I got – I've got to find some – some more diverse photos and like it just it was not super popular to show a woman of color as a boss in the 80s or 90s which is not should not be totally shocking to anyone no no i mean i believe it and i feel like there's this whole genre of movies in the 80s about women working yes. like there was working girl for example nine nine to five there's um don't tell mom the babysitter's dead mm-hmm. there's Baby boom. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. All white women, right? And these are all the cult movies of like working women, all white. I did find actually a movie that I had um, never heard of w- before, really. Two can play that game with Vivica A. Fox. Whoa. Apparently, it's actually a pretty good movie. And she has beauty, brains, and she's a boss. Well, there you go. <laughs> There you go. That's yeah. all we need. So, yeah. So we're talking about the 80s and 90s here, right? Well, mm-hmm. when Girl Boss begins to come up, it's 2014 and not much has changed, right? Mm-mm. So, now that we're almost through 2020, I feel like you can look at this situation and you're like, "Oh, this is doomed," right? 
So some other important things about the hashtag girl boss movement phenomenon that are really important to remember is that one, it was an amazing merchandising opportunity and that there was and still is a ton of product that was inspired by this idea. And so people were building businesses just selling this girl boss product, right? And secondly, we're going to talk about a bunch of girl bosses here and some brands of this time period that kind of started to come up. One thing that was really important about all of them is that these these uh, CEOs, if you will, <laughs> God, I hate that term. I <laughs> hate it. Were really successful about sort of defining themselves as a brand, being celebrities, being really powerful on social media, really building this huge following with themselves as the brand and almost like their company was secondary to their personal brand, right? Yeah. It was almost like the company was a spinoff. Yeah, exactly. We talked a lot about Sophia and Nasty Gal, and I would say that it really – there was a point where Sophia eclipsed Nasty Gal, you know? Like, she was more important than that company. She was a celebrity. She was a celebrity, and Nasty Gal went away, mm-hmm. and Sophia was still out there, you know? Like, it didn't. she didn't need that brand anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was bigger than that. And, and this is something that we see a lot that we're going to talk about, and it could also prove to be part of the downfall. And I think the other thing, just to reiterate, is that we talk about – this being a feminist movement, but the foundation is very shaky. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot going on here, right? Oh, and one last thing that we talked about in the last episode that I think is important to remember is that in 2014, when Sophia wrote Girl Boss, there were not a lot of good role models out there if you were a millennial woman. Like you had, let's see, Lena Dunham, Lena Dunham, and Kim Kardashian. Do we have anyone else? Not in the millennial sphere. Not. I mean, I'm, right. sure that, I'm sure there was there was a couple that were that will probably get you know yelled at about. But um, <laughs> I mean, please message us. I think it's really telling that we have been in this girl boss environment for really important years of our lives, and we definitely subscribe to that belief at a certain point. And the only women we can think of are Lena Dunham and Kim Kardashian. Like that like, says something. Rihanna. I guess, yeah. Beyonce, of course. But I mean, but these are like singers. These are people with different skill sets, like really looking up to someone who doesn't have an insane range. You know, I'm talking about someone who's got a different, like skills, different skills that aren't, you know. Who's strictly like running a business primarily, right? Like we also talked about Lady Gaga, but once again, that's like not the same either. Not that all these women haven't made money and diversified their businesses since then, but like at that time, you weren't seeing that. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the fall of Girlboss, and my fingers are crossed that Girlboss is going to go away soon because I can't stand that term. So I'm going to start this out with a quote from another millennial. Her name is Gia Tolentino. During the Girlboss era, I really knew her from Jezebel, where she was a contributor, Mm -hmm. but she's also written a book called Trick Mirror, and this is from an essay that I urge you all to read. It's very enjoyable and illuminating. will make you think. It's called 
the story of a generation in seven scams. The feminist scammer rarely sets out to scam anyone. She just wants to be successful, to gain the agency that men claim so easily, to have the sort of life she wants. She should be able to have that, shouldn't she? And I think that kind of embodies what's going to happen with Girl Boss. I think it sets the tone. Mm-hmm. So somehow it seems that every single media outlet, no matter how lame or how edgy or how mainstream, they all agreed. I don't know how this happens. They all agreed <laughs> that 2020 was the year that the girl boss died. And they all have articles about it. Mm-hmm. And as I kind of hit on in the last episode, for me personally, after the combination of my time at Nasty Gal, followed by several years at another incredibly toxic, way more toxic than Nasty Gal, female-led startup that had also been starting to bandy around the term boss babe a lot. They They didn't want to be girl boss. The CEO hated Sophia, hated Nasty Gal, but somehow boss babe was okay. Whoa. I know. That's even more nauseating to me. Those two back-to-back job experiences, for me, like, the girl boss era died a long time ago. Like, I thought it was over. I think I just had to shut off my entire brain to anything I saw out there that related to that. And let me tell you, still was getting line sheets for a tease that said, like, <laughs> I'm the bitch in charge or whatever nonsense, right? <laughs> But just like it's like my brain couldn't even see it anymore. You know, I just was like, imagine, imagine wearing that to work. (laughs) I'm the bitch in charge. Like, imagine who take you seriously. I know, I know. It's so so crazy. I'm embarrassed. It's like cringeworthy. Um, and just on the subject of a boss babe, hashtag boss babe, which, you know, as you talked about in the last episode is another one of those terms that's out there. I recently did a ton of research for a series of episodes of Close Horse that were about MLMs, aka pyramid schemes, mm. you know. And apparently boss babe, hashtag oh. boss babe is a big part of that oh. culture. They don't use girl boss uh, because, you know, ostensibly they are all running their own business. Like that's that's how they get brought into this. They're going to be told like you're going to be your own boss. You have your own business. You're an entrepreneur. You're hashtag boss, babe. How appealing is that? Yeah. It's very appealing, right? It's right. Mm -hmm. It's it's in the same way that you and I were like girl boss was really appealing because we saw that there was a really low ceiling on our careers. Mm -hmm. In the 21st century, okay? Just a few years ago. Um, it's, it's so easy to drink that Kool-Aid. And if everyone's is, drinking is. the Kool-Aid, then you're just like, I guess I'm a girl boss. <laughs> right. Or you're like, I guess I'm a boss babe, or right? I'm a boss and- babe or whatever, whatever the culture is constantly jamming down your eyeballs. Yeah. And this the, these like MLMs, there's so many of them. There's like – Really? You know, Tupperware is the oldest oh, one yeah. and Amway and uh, there's tons of makeup ones, jewelry ones, purse ones. There's this one that's like candles. It's called Scentsy. And they primarily target women 
with this idea of you're going to be your own boss. You're going to be a boss babe. They all do it. You're. It's like, great, finally I can be in charge of my own destiny. I can be independent. I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to drink this Kool-Aid. I mean, it's really fascinating that that's an area where you might not think about feminism being used to sell an idea to someone. I know, I know. Like come into our pyramid scheme. I'm gonna dangle this like this this carrot in front of you that you can have your own. You can you can be successful by yourself. You can be a feminist and you can run your own business and sell all all this product. We'll make it really easy for you. Totally, totally. And it goes back to this idea that women have had shoved down their throats since the 80s, which is that we can have it all. We can have kids. Mm-hmm. We can have a nice home. We can have a happy marriage, and we can have a career. And in fact, it's so much more complicated than that. Uh, I also thought it was really ironic, just coming from my that feminist company that was using the term boss babe, to know that it was also being used by all of these MLMs, like printed <laughs> leggings and stuff, just made me laugh so hard, but in like a really evil and sad way. One of the common threads that I would notice when I was reading about these women who had quit these MLMs, I mean... For all of the shady jobs that I've had, at least I didn't have to invest money into it. So I think I came out ahead, right? These are people who are going into credit card debt to be CEOs, okay? And and the thing that really resonated with me, and I think will with you, Kim, too, is that they're, they're so sucked up into it. They believe it so much. They want to be the hashtag boss babe, the girl boss, whatever. The culture of it all is so important. And when they ultimately leave, it is like they have literally, they have PTSD. They are just broken down by believing something so much and ultimately finding out that it was not real. And I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, maybe because I had to do a few more years in the girl boss world than you, it was really bad for my mental health to be like, I truly believe in feminism. I believe that women should be able to do whatever the hell they want. These are all platforms that I'm really actively engaged in. And then I go into this company that ostensibly that's what they're doing. That's, you know, that's their whole thing. And I find out it's like a toxic nightmare. And, you know, it it fucks with you where you're like, what do I really believe in? Well, if this is just like next Yes. They all leave and they are just like, they are mortified. And they were just like, how did we even, we didn't even realize we were in a cult. We No one joins a cult. How did we get wrapped up into this? And just like, just the looks on their faces when they're just like, as they come out of it and they just are trying to figure out how they were duped. You know, how smart, intelligent, successful people were scammed. Essentially, like what you're saying, a feminist scanner rarely sets out to scam anyone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, you and I talked before we recorded, like, would this get too hard for us to talk about, especially for me? I mean, the worst job that I had, the feminist company, was horrible. I could record podcast after podcast just telling you all the terrible things that happened there. But the most important thing that came out of it is I left and I felt like I had been scammed. I had been sold a mm-hmm. false bill of goods from moment one, and I worked so hard because I believed I, because you believed I believed in it. it. I believed I was on this mission, 
And then it was like, it wasn't even like I had creeping doubts. One day I just woke up and I was like, I have been lying to myself. This is terrible, right? Uh So we're going to talk about how the rest of the world, perhaps you could say, started to realize that this idea of hashtag girl boss, of hashtag boss babe, of CEO and ugh, boss bitches. Boss bitch. Or no, it, no, no, mom, mompreneur. What is it? Mom and I'm mompreneur. I mean, I hate that mompreneur. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I clearly can't even. It doesn't work. It's trying too hard. It's trying too hard. Mompreneurs. These so, <laughs> mompreneurs. So anyway, like I said, the media declared, seriously, every single blog, every single newspaper, magazine, you name it, all the media outlets, they said that 2020 was, quote, the end of the girl boss. Whew. She had a good run. I six mean, years six there, man. Years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, y'all don't know anything. It's been dying for a while. But then I was like, wait a minute. Take yourself out of yep. it. Let's look at the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I started to realize that actually a lot of things happened this year. Insane. And it made sense. It's insane. And it's like, once again, like, this year feels like it was 100 years long. And so I think that's why I thought some of this ha- stuff had happened in the past. So let's start. Let's go back to February. I mean, and this is a, this is a trend also. So the trend of Girlboss and then the downfall trend. Yeah, they're both <laughs> trend trends. These trend. tragic trends. Yeah. yeah. So February 21st, Ty Haney, who is the founder of Outdoor Voices, stepped down. Mm-hmm. Uh if you don't know who Outdoor Voices is, I, I guess I would just summarize it by saying that Outdoor Voices for for quite a while was the like it brand for cool girls to work out in. Mm-hmm. They got mad amounts of VC money. Mm-hmm. They opened a ton of stores. But I'm going to tell you that I think even as of February of this year, that title was already being taken from them and it now belongs to Girlfriend Collective. I mean, I do have some friends who are just like, I can't wear outdoor voices. It doesn't fit right. Imagine a, a stretchy pant doesn't fit right. And multiple I people mean, are saying this. You're just like, okay, that's clearly a problem. And of course, someone else is going to come in that's got great branding if their product is a similar price point and fits right. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. So, okay. So that's February. Now, the next – the rest of the series of events I'm going to talk to you about. All right, wait. Are you all going to talk about why? Yes, I'll get to it okay. later. Okay, great. So this is just I'm the timeline of, of the collapse. Yes. So this is the ironic thing. Okay, so we started in February. Well, now we're going to fast forward to June. Mm-hmm. And we're going to stay in June for quite a while. Why? Because June mm-hmm. – let's, let's go back to June. It feels like it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about – is the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. Okay? Which, as we know, I hope, I really, really hope this, was the beginning of a reckoning with systemic racism in our country. Right? Now, lots of people handled this really poorly. (laughs) And a great thing that did happen in the wake of all of this sadness and just anger and this realization, I think, collectively that our country is really fucked up if you are black, right, is that suddenly people could come forward. They were empowered to come forward and they could say, this is what's been really going on here. Wait, there was 
a reckoning. There was a reckoning. I mean, there was – and it needed to happen. And my hope is that it's not over. But it came fast and hard in June. So let's start. A, a reckoning of accountability. Yes, yes. Let's hear it, Amanda. <laughs> now, June 8th, Refinery29 editor-in-chief and co-founder Christine Barberich – I hope I'm not fucking up her name – Barberich, she resigns. Refinery29, if you're not familiar with them, which means you have never seen a computer, yeah. it played to the cool girl's ambitions and had like political savviness. But really, Refinery29 is just a big old commercial for things you could buy with a little bit of politics thrown in and like politics light, right? Yeah. But still, yeah. very cool, has been, has actually had, had until this year a pretty decent amount of staying power. And definitely was making some money. Okay, so that's June 8th. June 10th, two days later, Man Repeller founder Leandra Medine, I think she's now Cohen, or maybe that was her maiden name. I'm not sure. She steps back to an intern role, which makes no sense. Uh Man Repeller is so, to me, iconic of the girl boss era because it was this idea that women should dress for themselves and not for men. There was this whole like I don't care what other people think of me attitude and that really struck a chord with with cool girls out there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, same day, June 10th, Bando chief creative officer and co-founder Jen Gotch resigns after a leave of absence that she was forced to take. Uh, she built the brand on an upbeat mission that fused self-care with female empowerment, and she talked a lot about mental health because she herself has a history of anxiety and bipolar 2 disorders. She's really trying to normalize mental illness slash mental health, right? The next day, June 11th, the Wing CEO and co-founder Audrey Gelman resigns. The Wing is like a co-working space for women. It's very expensive. Uh, Gelman herself has been up on the scene for a long time. Her wedding was featured in Vogue magazine, and she was in an episode of Girls. So it gives you an idea of who she is, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That definitely paints a picture. Yes. The next day, June 12th – by the way, we're only four days into this week, and tons of women are stepping down, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, these are all – these these were all well, not all but most most of these were were founded founded during this time period of like the girl um, boss era you know the girl boss era. yeah yeah uh, Reformation CEO and founder Yale Alfalo I'm probably messing yeah. up her name I yeah I'm not gonna I can't help you on any of these I'm really I'm sorry. sorry I'm terrible with names too anyway she steps I would I would help you if I if I knew so she steps down on June 12th and. The secret to her success, according to an article in W Magazine, was that she had taken her personal L.A. cool girl style and translated it to the masses. And also, it was this like faux sustainable brand. There's a lot of greenwashing, but they really had captured the zeitgeist of the voice Mm -hmm. of that era. And I will tell you this, when we were at Nasty Gal, we were watching Ref obsessively. Mm -hmm. Like – they're going to take us down. How do we take them down first? And at one point, our copywriter went to Reformation and their emails were instantly 1,000 times better than ours. And there was always talk of like, how how could we get her back? So 
This is like these are all of these brands are all connected to one another. They all came up in the same era, and they're all led by women. And and there were some I'm, other brands that were taking down that had men at the helm as well for the same issues yes, too. For sure, like Bon Appetit. I know there was a lot of problems there. Everlane. That was something a little bit different. It is interesting because some like a dialogue that I kept seeing people who literally still use the hashtag girl boss bringing yeah. up on yeah. LinkedIn or in some of these women's career networking groups that I belong to that are mostly a waste of my time, unfortunately. Um, they kept coming back to like, why are we tearing down other women? Men are bad leaders too. And it's like, yeah, I agree. They should all be brought out into the open. There should be a reckoning. But women are not exempt from being called out just because they're women. Mm -hmm. And so I think that also capture, captures exactly. some of the zeitgeist of this girl boss mentality in 2020. Like if you're still clinging to that hashtag, you think that it's not fair when women get called out for being bad leaders. Yeah. And I would just see that a lot. But one of the saddest parts about this is that these were the top, these were the cream of the crop. These were the most highly regarded of of this generation and they all fell. Like we lost a lot of female mm -hmm, founders. Mm -hmm. We did. We did. So I didn't include Glossier in this list because their leader is still in place, but they also have been called out for all kinds of racism and transphobia and just generally like not being a good place to work. Uh, there was a similar situation with, I mean, I don't even know if this place exists anymore. The museum of ice cream. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Same, just like female-led. Terrible. Horrible place to work. Horrible, horrible, mm -hmm. horrible. So just a lot of this started to come out this year, which I'm excited about. Well, because we talk about it. Amanda and I talk about this often. We're just like, why are the, the, the women CEOs – like we always hear just such – terrible things you know like the woman from away oh. away and thinks those ones got taken down a little bit earlier too like, like mm -hmm, we just hear mm -hmm. nightmare like where where are the cool disruptor startup women that are actually like <laughs> you know i mean i have so many thoughts about that too about the ceo personality type i think that's what's really that elf, the problem that here as woman that we were talking about yeah that has totally it has nothing to do with gender it's here we're just talking great. about a personality type and that these women who aspire to be ceos are cut from the same cloth as the men and right what the vcs want the vcs are looking for this what we talked about is how um they're looking for someone with a certain type of charisma and that's what this is yeah. Women have, yeah. have this type of charisma, and it just ha happens yeah. to be this, the same kind of, of woman, essentially. Anyway. Yeah. They don't want nice people to lead a company. And I've heard this time and time again in different TED Talks and articles I've read about leadership that no one's looking for nice. Uh, and, you know, I'll go back to, again, my boss told me that I'd be a lot more successful in my career if I cared less about the people who work for me. And- I think that that's, that's the route to that CEO role, right? So yeah. on, on June 22nd, later in the month, Sophia of Nasty Gal stepped down from her girl boss media company, uh, which I'm just going to tell you is a business I still don't understand. But she didn't do anything wrong. It was just like she threw a lot of events as far as I can tell. The pandemic prevented that, right? So – 
she sold it off to someone else. In what Fortune's Fortune Magazine's Emma Hinchiff dubbed a reckoning, a total of eight female founders, like big female founders, had stepped wow. down from the companies they were leading by the midway point of 2020. So by the end of June. Yeah. I do want to give an honorable girl boss mention <laughs> to the female leaders of previous years that had also gone down in flames. So one, you've talked about Steph mm-hmm. Corey of Away, who based on what I've read, uh, there were a whole series of exposés on The Verge, which we're going to show you share the link with you. She must be a terrible person. <laughs> like yeah. I just can't even – she's a mean, mean Monster. person. Monster. Yeah. In addition to requiring 16-hour days from the customer experience team members, we're talking customer service here, which is a very hard job. 16-hour days. 16 hours. She also held their holiday vacation days hostage. She was basically like, none of you can take off. That's that. Employees were also not allowed to email one another. Employees were only allowed to communicate with one another via Slack in these like – and not like – in private conversations, it had to be in these big, large groups. The drawback to that, perhaps, is that everybody who worked there got to see her say really terrible things to people right out in the open uh, and, you know, kept the receipts. This is just like textbook abusive behavior. This is what an abusive person does. Oh, 100%. It's it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. Uh, and then also uh, Mickey Agrawal of Thinks, who – I feel like set the tone or set – she set the precedence for the nightmare girl boss, yeah. although she called herself a CEO. Yeah. She had to step down for many reasons, one of which being that she liked to both talk about and touch the breasts of her employees. She's like a dove churny. Yeah. A dove churny. Of period underwear. It's all like so fucking weird. I know. And by the way – I found each of these people who had stepped down by simply Googling their name, steps down, and just it was just like a list. That's the headline for all of them. Blank steps down. Blank steps down Mm -hmm. over and over again. Honestly, Kim and I could do episode after episode after episode about all of these fallen girl bosses because like so much bad stuff happened in all of these scenarios. And we will, if you, if you guys want us to do one, you can just let us know. Yeah. Holler at us because seriously, each of these girl bosses has the mm-hmm. craziest stories and they're all different yeah. in their terribleness. Like it's really insane. It's insane. I've been like consuming all these articles for the past week and I'm just like, whoa, you know, like what's going on in the world? I think it's interesting also to call out because in the previous episode, Kim talked about how these girl bosses were celebrities in their own right and social media was a huge part of their identity, right? The irony is not lost on me that most of their downfalls this year kind of began or were exacerbated by social media because outside of Sophia, who just happened to, you know, it's a hard time to run a business. So take Sophia out of the equation, but all these other women who had to step down, they really fucking blew it on Instagram. 
It's the call-out culture trend, essentially. Like, they got called out on Instagram. And none of them could handle it. Like, they all did the worst thing they can do. And I'll talk about it a little bit here. And, Kim, you jump in. Wasn't that something with Dolls Kill also? Oh, yeah. That's another – so – once again, I only talked about the, the quote, <laughs> girl bosses that stepped down already this year, but there was also a lot of drama with the leader of Dolls Kill, whose name I can't remember, but it's something really weird. Mm-hmm. She posted of like a photo of the Dolls Kill store having been like looted yes. or graffitied or something with the police. In, and it was like a very pro-police post, which – is so like, toned up. So toned so up. I know. So fucked up in the wake of everything that was going on. And like a lot of these other girl bosses, suddenly you put their behavior under a microscope and you're like, oh, you do terrible things all the time. You you are a boss bitch. Yeah, exactly. In you're the truest sense, you bitch. say racist <laughs> things. You treat employees with color of color differently if you hire them at all. You maybe even buy into some product that's like low-key racist or ableist or, I mean, all kinds of really bad stuff. I mean, were- oftentimes it was, you know, not even wanting um, women of color as models. Mm-hmm. All they wanted were you know, white women as models and like, even thinking or talking about like a woman of color being a representation of your brand was a laughable matter. You know, mm-hmm, that's just mm-hmm. – unacceptable and it it should be called out you know what and i'm gonna be honest i don't want these people to be in charge No, so good i'm glad they stepped down i'm sure it was really painful and i have empathy for that but like if you're that kind of person i don't want to live in a world where you get to succeed because it's wrong you know there i'm drawing the line in the sand okay there you go amanda amanda said it yeah so Let's talk about all the major downfalls of these girl bosses and their empires in some cases. Well, more than anything, you know, thinking about how this movement started in 2014, and this is when a lot of these brands, companies, and their girl bosses began to come up, right? The times are changing, okay? 2020 put all of the foolishness and shortcomings of these girl bosses in like full focus for the whole world. From an Atlantic article aptly titled, The Girl Boss Has Left the Building. (laughs) When a country, I know, it's good. When a country is grappling with mass death, racist state violence, and the unemployment and potential homelessness of millions of people, it becomes inescapably clear that when women center that worldview around their own office hustle, it just recreates the power structures built by men, but with women conveniently on top. I mean, real talk here, making women the new men, which I swear I've seen a t-shirt that says that, is never going to fix the problems with systemic racism, classism, and, you know, exploitation that exists in our world, right? Period. Like, this is like, this is the truth. And ultimately, that's what Girlboss wanted to do. Girlboss said, you know, let's keep keep going with the status quo, but let's put a woman in charge, basically. That was the only Mm -hmm. difference. A woman dressed well. Yeah. Always dressed well. Lots of millennial pink. Saying little, like, 
catchphrase ism. Yeah, that would be like motivational, right? Tons of ism. Eating some avocado toast. Brunching. Brunching, your favorite. I know, I know. With like a $20 smoothie. See, this is also, I mean, we're going to talk about millennial tropes in future episodes because this is all part of that. The girl Mm -hmm. boss era is also the era of juice cleanses. It's true. And avocado toast and clean eating and like just crystals. Yes. Uh, sort of Crystal. like modification of mysticism. It's like new age <laughs> norm core. <laughs> I would get invites to different sort of like summits or events for girl bosses, if you will. And they would always involve some yoga. Mm-hmm. Vegan clean food, um, some sort of setting your intention stuff. Like these things are all so intrinsically entangled. It's kind of crazy, right? So what are the things that were wrong with this? Well, for one, this was for-profit feminism and people started to see through that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they've all seen through it yet, but it's starting to happen, especially this year when people are really being forced to reflect on what's going on, right? So here are some examples here. Like Refinery29, allegedly a media outlet. It's really just a place that sells clothing and makeup, right? With a sprinkling of empowering girl boss news. It's not the first place you go for news. And if you are, let's talk. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, or like let's look at Sophia back at Nasty Gal. Like she's selling fast fashion, which is incredibly problematic. And a lot of people didn't really realize that until this year. Like this realization that fast fashion is problematic is more mainstream now than it's ever been, right? Yeah. The the wing was incredibly expensive and very exclusive. It catered only to women with money. And in fact, the wing's revenue projections were high enough to garner $100 million in funding over the last three years. Wow. So they, once again, this like this empowering feminist workspace where there certainly is avocado toast. There is certainly juice. I'm sure they had special events for you to set your intentions, right? It's for rich women, right? It's like a money-making scheme. It's very commercial. All of these brands were just selling stuff in the name of feminism. I'm just going to go ahead and throw one other brand in here. I'm not going to talk about them by name again. Mm -hmm. Wild Fang. I mean – Wild Feminists, you know, all the feminist stuff. I would argue that during 2018, during the Women's March, there was a need for some T-shirts for women to all wear together. For I can see that. I can, I, yeah, I, I, I can that. agree. Mm-hmm. I can agree. And and, and 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 it was really popular for a really for a while, but then it, then it turned into a commodification. Yeah, and it was a trend where people were wearing these T-shirts and they were everywhere, and businesses were basically built up around them and selling them. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Totally. Totally. You're familiar. I'm <laughs> very very familiar yeah. with the commodification of feminism for profit as part of a capitalist yeah. system. <laughs> There you go. Okay, yes. So that was one thing. People this year are starting to – I mean, listen, I'm going to tell you back in my day of slinging feminist t-shirts, we would have people occasionally ask us on social media, like, don't you feel bad making money off of feminism? 
But for the most part, that was like a minority. Like those were the most woke people. But what happened this year, which is amazing, is that more and more people are seeing these things and speaking out about it and changing their behaviors. When is the last time you've seen a t-shirt of um, the Futurist Feminine? What is it? Futurist Feminine t-shirt? Futurist Female. Yeah, I haven't seen. I mean, I feel like you wouldn't wear that now, right? Yeah, I don't. I know. I know. So this year people are starting to be like, hey, wait a minute. Why are you making money off of this like belief system, this movement? So next – And this is something that, like, I hate that I'm going to say this. I hate that this is true. But one thing all of these girl boss-led companies had in common is that they had a terrible mean girl culture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like, I don't – I don't even know how to get away from that. I know. You get a bunch of women in a room. And, like, you know what? Like, I I don't want it to be that way. You know, like, me either. I want things to be good. I want women to be better, and yet here we are, right? So Jessica Crispin wrote a book a couple years ago while I was in my peak slinging feminist t-shirts period of my career. That <laughs> Wait, really, peak, was, was it your peak Kool-Aid or were you woke? I was already woke at this point or I would have never probably mm-hmm. read this book. It's called okay. – and this book for me, I, you know, I think at this point – the moment before I got this book, which I think I heard about on like NPR or something, I was like, I'm the only person in the world who believes that this is all garbage and this is like consumerism around feminism because as far as I could tell, the entire rest of the world thought this was a great thing. And I would be like, if I were to publicly express my feelings on this, I would just be a spoiler. Okay. So that's how I was feeling at that point. True or not, I don't know. So Anyway, so Jessica Crispin wrote this book called Why I Am Not a Feminist, A Feminist Manifesto. And it sounds like it's going to be some like right-wing, women should stay at home, family values bullshit, but it's not. Mm. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. Basically, she argues that feminism has become such a marketing story with all of those like futurist female t-shirts and wild feminist tees, all the feminist tchotchkes, the girl boss stuff. You know, empowering conferences where you set your intentions and do yoga together, all of that stuff. It makes feminism something you can buy into rather than something you know, like you live and fight for. And so it devalued feminism. And so what she's basically saying at this time is like what feminism is in this time, which I want to say this was roughly 2018, 2017, something like that. She's saying, I don't, I'm not a feminist if that's what feminism is, right? She also says, this is from the book, you know, the thing about representation is that generally in order to get into a high position of power within government or a corporation, you have to take on the behavior and values of your male colleagues in order to be accepted. Take representation in the arts, for example. If you look at certain literary magazines that have bettered their quotas of male contributors to women contributors, a lot of the time, all they did was add women contributors who came from the same socioeconomic backgrounds and education system that the men do. So it's nothing to do with becoming more inclusive. It's just slightly changing the demographic setup. So in other words, as we've been talking about, these girl bosses, they were just 
take the man out, put the woman in the place. There wasn't a different sort of, I don't know, like approach to leadership or a different set of priorities. It was all the same. We're going to make money no matter what it takes in diamond charge, right? So it sort of set the stage for these like toxic girl boss led cultures where employees were miserable and exploited. And for all of, like I said, all of the people I talked about earlier who lost their jobs this year as CEOs, yeah, all of the all of them have incredibly intense exposés written about them, and they all have one thing in common. The people who worked there had a terrible experience. Yeah. So, for example, Outdoor Voices, one employee said of Ty Haney, who was the CEO that stepped down, Haney spoke to me like I was in an abusive relationship. Each day I walked into that office, I felt more and more worthless. She had beaten me down like she had done to many others. And there are like so many stories mm-hmm. like that from Outdoor Voices alone. Yep. As we talked about, Nasty Gal, infamous for its mm-hmm. terrible mean girl culture, laying off pregnant employees, company-wide emails about bikini diets from Sophia. That was before you started, Kim. It was like my first week there. Whoa, what happened? She sent out an email to the entire, entire company about a bikini diet that she was on that we should try. What? I know, I know. Once again, like, I feel like that just speaks to like a certain level of inexperience or something, right? I mean, yeah. So not like necessarily like ill will there, but just like like not having someone else step in and be like, oh, you probably shouldn't do that. And if you recall, the HR people at Mm -hmm. Nasty Gal were terrible, right? So it's not like they were going to step in and be like, Sophia, you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when Kim and I were there, so – It's important to say that when Kim and I joined Nasty Gal, Sophia was no longer the CEO. Like when I got there, she had just stepped down because she – like girl boss had just come out and like that was her focus. And so instead she brought in Sherry Watterson to lead the company as CEO. And Sherry previously had been fired from Lululemon for the see-through pants debacle. Mm -hmm. And she had no like – I don't know, like millennial fashion experience at all. Um, She was very old school fashion work leadership, you know, like you can't work from home, that kind of stuff from like a bygone era almost. But when Kim and I got there, I'm going to tell you, there were some really horrible, mean people working there. In my case, they worked for me. Me too. Which was like (laughs) a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So I had already – I mean, I'm going to tell you like – Shame on me, honestly, because I read the Glassdoor reviews before I accepted the job, and I saw that it had been a really bad place to work. There had already been one expose, I believe it was on Jezebel, about how terrible it was, how everybody was leaving, on and on and on. I got there, and like I can't imagine if it was worse before I got there because it was pretty terrible when I got there. But like once again, Sophia was like absent by that time. If you recall in the last episode, Kim was in one meeting with her ever. I was in two. I mean, mm-hmm. like, that was that was it. Uh, and another phenomenon from the Nasty Gal era that I still laugh about, and I know we've talked about this before, Kim, is how every week on Friday it would be someone's going away party. Oh, like, I don't know. I don't – everything was kind of nightmarish. I don't remember too much. Um <laughs> I'm realizing it was another another friend of mine who worked in production uh, who talked about that, how 
every you you got sick of champagne and cupcakes because yeah. every Friday it was someone's going away party yeah. with champagne, cupcakes, some strawberries, that kind of thing. It's like every week. And going back to what you were saying, you know, like I don't know about you, but for me, I was kind of stuck in a dead end, you know, job where there was no movement within my company for a woman. Like you were, there was literally mm-hmm. nowhere to go, and and it was really not and not uh, a kind environment for finding new employment. And you know, this job, it I think it would even though it was really challenging and really painful and toxic and what all all those things. It really, it, it changed my life. And I, you know, I, I don't regret ever working there because I learned so much about oh my what God. to do and what not to do, you know? Me too. I tell everyone that because when people are like, I bet you regret working there. And I'm like, I don't at all. For one, uh-uh. I Never. met some of the most in- amazing, yes. smart, talented people mm-hmm. that I have yeah. ever met in my whole life. And yeah. they're still my friends. And I'm so grateful to have them in my life. And- I tell people this all the time. I learned what not to do and what will happen yeah. if you do it, you know, yes. which is just as important as learning what yes. to do, right? Extremely valuable. I think, like, just, yeah. I, I would never be where I am today if I had not worked there. I me neither. Short me neither. Amount of time, I learned so much. I really did. I learned so much about marketing, about customer engagement, about building a brand. I learned so and about people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh-huh. And I learned so much about finance and how yeah. it can go awry. And yeah. these are all really important things as a businesswoman, right? Yeah. Yeah. So those are just some examples, but like all like I said, all of these brands with their girl boss running the show, they all talked about just what a miserable, toxic culture it was. And they always they all had the same stories of body shaming, bullying, so many stories of I was brought mm-hmm. in because no one on the team had experience and everyone was terrible to me. I That was my experience when I started. That was my, that was, that yeah, was you know that too. Uh, permanent like stomach aches, people getting like mm-hmm. weird autoimmune issues, headaches. Right. I remember that. Depression, mm-hmm. alcoholism, drug mm-hmm. problems, PTSD, and they all have in common – I'm going to give you all of you listeners a really important piece of advice right now, and you must listen to it. When you are about to apply for a job, I want you to open Glassdoor and immediately type in that that company's name. And if you can't find any Glassdoor reviews, I want you to Google around. I want you to look on LinkedIn. I want you to see when people uh, check themselves in there on Instagram because they all these companies had terrible, terrible Glassdoor reviews. All of like them. Many. There's many. definitely some some scenarios where there might be one, maybe two, and like a lot of that. Some of that is not necessarily reliable. But right. Like there's many. You can tell. Reviews. You can tell. You can tell when someone's just one person had a bad experience versus a lot of people. And there's a certain, I don't know. It's like there's a certain 360 view of the business that you can see there, and you can see why it's yeah. bad. And I saw those before I went to Nasty Gal and was like, it'll be different because I am a different yeah. person. And it wasn't. And, you know, a couple years ago, Bandeau was hiring. And I was like, oh, my God, I would love to move back to LA. This is when I was in Portland at the terrible feminist job. And I was like, 
I would love to go back to LA. I would love to work on cute product. I know Bando's really into like mental health and stuff like that. That's really important to me. I went on the glass door and I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. fuck no, not going there. That place is terrible. And Whoa. we're going to talk about Bando a little bit more, but I'm going to tell you, people were already talking about it's a mean girl culture. The leader is racist. The pay wow. is terrible. There's no work-life balance. All the terrible things, right? Which brings me to the next thing that all these girl boss companies had in common, which was a complete lack of diversity on the team. And to be honest, many of these leaders were engaging in really blatant racist behavior. Like just blatant. Like when you see it all laid out, you're just like, oh my God. So two former Refinery29 employees told CNN Business that Christine Barberich, the CEO mm-hmm. would reject photos of black or plus size models mm-hmm. for Refinery29, deeming them off brand, which is a uh-huh. term you and I have heard. Uh-huh. She did acknowledge to CNN that the brand's shortcomings came at, quote, the detriment of black women and women of color in particular. So she knows. She knows. Former employees described the company as one where white women's egos ruled and black women were diminished. One employee alleged she was paid $15,000 less than two white coworkers who were doing the same job, while another one said that Barbarich repeatedly confused one black woman with another. I know. What? I mean, this is this is gross, right? So oh. there was an, an incredible expose on BuzzFeed of Jen Gotch and Bando. And it showed that the culture was incredibly mean girl and that not only was she guilty of just, I mean, like, I I don't even want to say them here. Just go read the article. Overtly racist statements and behaviors, but she also engaged in all kinds of like racist microaggressions, you know, like let me touch your hair kind of bullshit. And Mm. she got called out on this in June, like all these other people, right? She blew it. Um, And all of these people did. But she – I feel like her – the way she blew it on Instagram was the biggest example of all. By posting this video on Instagram, basically centering herself as a victim. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. And I mean, people – thank God. I feel like if this had happened – Four or five years ago, people would have defended her and she would still have a job. But people were like, fuck you. You're racist. What about this? What about that? She wouldn't even like address the things she had said and done. And that was another place where they didn't want to use black models. Mm-hmm. Man Repeller was criticized for the lack of diversity on the site, which was totally true. And they were like basically incapable of holding on to employees of color because they were treated so poorly. And Wow. One common thread for all of these girl bosses is that they are incredibly privileged uh, economically as well. And like Man Repeller was maybe one of the most extreme cases of that where all of the core writers were so rich, like, you know, heiresses and whatnot. Wow. And there was a New York Times expose on The Wing, which revealed low pay poor treatment, and just overt racism at the company. And it seems like a nightmare place to work. Yeah. it's. I read some articles and it, yeah. it was like they were treating people of color you know, as like basically servants. Yeah. That is definitely Same. the summary there. Yeah. It was really, really terrible. Um, and it didn't help that also it seemed like a lot of their uh, customers, members, would you call them members? 
the people who I, what would you I call know. them anyway clients rich, rich ladies I don't rich, know. well they were all rich and they were all racist and terrible mm-hmm. too so that made the environment even worse right because this is more of like a service oriented job oh, it's basically the club it's like it's like going to the you know yeah to totally totally like the country club or something a different type yes. of club the yes. country club totally exactly. totally the next thing all these girl bosses have in common, which is a good transition into that, is this obliviousness to privilege, both white privilege and economic privilege, which seems so tired and dated in 2020, but is just such an intrinsic part of the girl boss DNA. You know, it's like you were even talking about Sheryl Sandberg giving people advice about mm-hmm. women, advice about how they could succeed and lift themselves up by leaning in. But then it's like, oh yeah, and she went to Harvard. Right. By working yeah, by harder. working harder. <laughs> exactly. And that's and that's how Cheryl Sandberg got ahead was just by working harder. Um, no. She came yes. from money. No, she no, went no. to Harvard. She Harvard. Harvard got I know. Like Harvard. I know. I know. And not just any person can go to Harvard either. It's not the community mm-hmm. college. And no. so this girl boss thing always posits that if you just work really hard, you'll be successful. I, The word hustle is always thrown in to conversations about girl mm-hmm. boss, right? There's tons of like wall art out there that has hustle and cursive. There's mugs. It's all about the hustle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And all these girl bosses were able to start their businesses because they had all this privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's – that open doors for them that are not open to normal people like us, right? But once again, they would go out there, they would, you know, they'd give TED Talks, they'd go mm-hmm. write books or, you know, editorials for different blogs. And it was always about like the secret to success as a girl boss is just you got to do the hashtag hustle and then you will be the girl boss too. Except Sophia started with kind of nothing and did work her way. She did. Uh, She's the unique one, Right. Whereas the rest of these people, I mean, they all came from generational wealth, which set them up. And I have heard stories, whether this is true or not, that it's not like, you know, Sophia grew up on welfare either. I mean, she came from a pretty solid middle class background. Mm -hmm. But once again, when you compare her to these other, quote, girl bosses, she has significantly less advantages than they do, right? Mm -hmm. So – the summary here is that in 2020, you realize that girl boss and the entire sort of girl boss structure of leadership is just rotten. It's antiquated. I mean, I think the term girl boss should just go away forever. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because for one, the girl bosses didn't really change anything. Once again, it was putting women in place of a man. It was like plug and play. It didn't change the culture of these companies. It didn't change what work means. It didn't give new people opportunities. It wasn't like having girl bosses meant that more women got to grow in their careers. And I think that's really important to call out because, you know, using Nasty Gal as an example, a lot of the like executive level roles were held by men, just like everywhere else I'd worked. Mm -hmm. And when I started to look at some of these other girl boss led companies and look at their, you know, C-suite, it was primarily men. Hmm. So once again, it didn't necessarily open up opportunities for women in the way it seemed like it would. Yeah. It was all kind of like, a, it was smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I'm not saying that these women went into it 
with that intent to sort of scam everybody, right? It's like I said at the beginning, it just kind of worked out that yeah. way. And I think what's really unfortunate was what's going to happen next is because, you know, the main women founder drivers, the ones that are the celebrities, the ones that are really well known, they are gone. They have basically broken the rules. They have lost, I'm sure, a lot of VCs, a lot of money. So getting investments for more women-founded companies, like who's going to take the risk? I know, I know. It's 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 a sad legacy, I would say, that that mm-hmm. I hate that it's like set this precedent that's not true, but mm-hmm. that women can't lead companies because they just end up collapsing on social media or something like that. And like But they they picked them. They picked the, the 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 alpha female that they wanted that was like that was self-defined as the successful leader that will get gather legions and fans. Like that was their decision to go off after those particular female founders and it blew up. Yeah. Yeah. What's next? <laughs> I know. I know. I th- I think that what we really need to do is reevaluate what are really the most mm-hmm. essential skills that a good leader should have? You know, like empathy and a sense mm-hmm. of social justice and fairness and like collaboration and all of these things mm-hmm. that don't exist right now because even in the girl boss era, it was all about hustle your way to the top. Who cares about yeah. everyone else around you, I mean, right? And, and hustle means you're going to step on some people to yes, get up yes. to the top, even though you're not supposed to. And that's, that's all you do. That's no different than any of the male-led companies out there. Yeah. So I also hate the term girl boss, which I've always struggled with this a little bit because it immediately draws attention to the feminine quality of this leader. Yeah. And it also stupid. It infantilizes the role of a female as a boss. It's like, oh look, it's like so cute. Yeah. I mean, have we ever heard anyone called a boy boss? No. no. You would be like Steve Jobs now there was a boy boss. A, a boy no. Boss. Right. That would be crazy. No, that no, would never happen. Isn't it just a it's just they're just a boss. And girls should just be a boss. Right. So women should be a boss, not girl boss. A girl boss or a boy boss? I guess would be a child who runs a company and that's a whole other thing. But we could try it, I guess, because these other things aren't working out. (laughs) But like women as leaders shouldn't have to be cute or adorable or like sexy and well-dressed on social media. They shouldn't have to have this aspirational lifestyle. We don't demand that of male CEOs, that they are like just the right amount of sexy and smart. I mean, this is the kind of language that you see about about, these – Girl bosses. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. Like calling her girl boss is just an insult. Has someone done that? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm I'm sure sure someone has. Oh my God. I'm sure some like that, Hillary Clinton, any of those people, like like none of those people would ever, ever be like accept being called a girl boss because they're oh hell no. Hell no. And I feel like this, like, cutification, this sexification of female leaders is just, like, so retrograde. And it it devalues the work of these female leaders because the reality is that being a CEO is really hard work, right? And you shouldn't also have to be well-dressed and sexy and looking good on Instagram and having brunches and being approachable and all these other bullshit things that are expected. 
of these girl bosses. I mean, there's a lot of problems with the girl bosses that have nothing to do with the poor girl bosses themselves, right? Yeah. It's just it's making it's making it like palatable to society. It's like oh, it is, it is. It's like don't boss. worry. Yes, yes. There's a woman running this company, but look how thin and great she is. You know, it's it's like no. And I think. You know, I've had here and there, I very have treaded very lightly here, where I've had to have conversations with people where I've been like, I don't like the term girl boss. And it immediately is like, why don't you think women can be in charge? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Us getting rid of the term girl boss doesn't stop women from being leaders. It just creates a new world in which leaders can shine without being identified by gender. They're just a boss. That's it. Right? You're the CEO, not the CEO. Oh, like I I haven't had to hear or read that term in so long. And the amount of times I've been subjected to it recently is like, I, I hope it goes out of my brain again. I had like forgotten about it. I think I blocked it. But I do think that like concurrently, like as I was talking about, like there, there are a lot of these – a lot of these ideas like you shouldn't be commodifying feminism. You – shouldn't be running a company the same way these male CEOs have been. You shouldn't, you know, all of these things that I talked about, you shouldn't be having like a toxic racist culture, all of that. This year, like, like I said, is the year that suddenly we all, the more mainstream culture could see that these things were important issues, right? Yeah. Whereas in the past, it was a lot more fringe. You were a lot more woke. You were maybe, you know, more into the social justice scene, if you will. And I think that like these ideas have been concurrently sort of gaining steam as girl boss has been slowly waning. You know, it's a trend, right? Like we said, the rise is a trend, and so is the fall. Yeah. In in 2017, so three years after the era of the girl boss began, a group of activists organized the International Women's Strike, which was a labor strike that took place on the same day as International Women's Day, and it has for every day since. Uh, if you yourself have never had to work for a company that slings feminist teas, I will tell you that it's in March. <laughs> and <laughs> for these companies that have tried and have been making money off of feminism as a trend, this is a big marketing month for them. This is like mm -hmm. a new product launch. like it's like the Christmas it is. It's like festival for people who are into feminism instead of like fringed vests or whatever. And so to organize a women's strike, which is a very traditional labor tactic to kind of leverage, you know, better working conditions, to do that on a on a day that has become a commercial holiday for this feminist industrial complex, if you will, is is a pretty big deal. You know, I think it it's like not buying anything on Black Friday, but also maybe going and protesting the stores. Like they're in sharp contrast to one another. Mm -hmm. So the organizers use the event as a launch pad for sort of repoliticizing feminism because once again, like I was saying, feminism had stopped being a political movement, a way of life, and had become a marketing concept. In 2000, and, before 2017. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. in 2017, I would say mm -hmm. 2017 would be the peak of making money off of feminism because that's the year, which we've talked about 2017 and 2018 recently, you and I offline. 
that's the year that Trump gets into office. You know, he's yeah. elected in 2016. He's inaugurated in 2017. It's the first ever women's march. I mean, this is like mm-hmm. Me Too is like happening, you know. Mm-hmm. This is the year that you make money. And I'm going to tell you, I also sat in meetings where we wondered how could we make money off of Me Too without being insensitive? I mean, this is yeah. what's going on in the world. And a few brands tried to make money off of Me Too. It's oh, yeah. disgusting, right? Oh, yeah. Totally, totally. And I would get people sending me line sheets of like Me Too t-shirts. and like, no, oh, no, that's no. not how it works. No, that is not how it works. People are not walking around. No, that is – that is. I mean – can you imagine the, the can you imagine the woman that bought the Me Too? T-shirt? I know, I know, I know. It's it's disgusting. I mean, it's it's Me Too T-shirt. Like you're walking around. Oh my! I know, God. I know. This is where we were though with the commercialization of feminism. So this movement that was part of you know that was really I don't know like the headline event of it was this international women's strike. Mm-hmm. They wanted to reclaim feminism, repoliticize it, bring it back to what it really is and take it away from all these brands that had co-opted it to sell products, services, weird festival-y mm-hmm. conventions and music stuff and I mean it was just yeah. like so ridiculous. These people called it feminism for the 99%, meaning the girl bosses are the one percenters, right? This is what feminism really is and it's for the rest of us and it affects all of us because not to get like all women's studies here, but feminism is really about equality and a good quality of life for all people. It's not just about putting women in leadership roles. It's about labor rights, immigrants' rights, anti-racism, uh, the environment. I mean, these are all important parts of it, right? In no way does selling t-shirts for me to fit into that, you know? <laughs> right? And this idea of the 99%, once again, is in sharp contrast to the economic privilege of the so-called girl bosses. And in their manifesto, I loved this, we have no interest in breaking the glass ceiling while leaving the vast majority of women to clean up the shards. Far from celebrating women CEOs who occupy corner offices, we want to get rid of CEOs and corner offices. I love that, hmm. right? It's like saying like, no, the solution is not putting women in the CEO job position. It's about dismantling yeah all the systemic oppression, right? Yeah, exactly. And so this brand of feminism isn't about marketing. It's not about looking good on social media. Mm-hmm. It doesn't center solely on so-called women's issues. But like I said, it involves workers' rights, immigrants' rights, anti-racism, the environment. I mean, just ev- everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to add, I wanted to end my story here with one more quote from Jessa Crispin, who we talked about earlier. If you accept discomfort and simplicity, you can live a life that aligns with your values. I know it sounds crazy, but that's how I try to live my life. If we want to destroy the patriarchy, it's not just about putting women in power. It's about restructuring and reimagining every single aspect of our society. That's lovely. Isn't mm-hmm. that? I like that. So – Wait, in in regards, you know, to all of these feminist t-shirts, I mean, there has to have been 
I mean, a million. I mean, how many of these T-shirts do you think sold in the past oh. couple of years? What? Where are these T-shirts? I mean, I get. You know, there was a time period where, like, a year where it was like, the, like a lot of men bought the T-shirts, and I think that that was kind of a nice. Mm-hmm. It, it was. It was. It's almost kind of like. Um, during like the George Floyd pro- protests, you know, where it's like Black Lives Matter and like being really vocal mm-hmm. about being supportive mm-hmm. of Black lives is exceptionally important. And the same thing kind of held true where it was like men buying these feminist t-shirts. Like when I saw a guy on the street, I was like, I really liked that. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. And I think, I think that, I mean, I would suspect there is going to be a moment Maybe it's going to be next year. Maybe it's going to be a couple years from now where we go into thrift stores and yes. we see a ton of these shirts. I was just wondering. I feel like <laughs> I feel like until Trump is out of mm-hmm. office and we see how things are going to go with Biden, people are still holding on to yep. them. Now, something that I talk about a lot on Close Horrors and I'm kind of hammering home to anyone who listened to me is that things are not instantly fixed the day that Biden becomes president, right? There are still – Many, many things to fight for. We still need to get out there and protest. We still need to make our voices heard. We still need to push our elected officials to do do things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, racism isn't going away, right? Uh, poverty is not going away. Uh, tr- you know, sexism, sexual harassment, sexual exploitation, all of the things that happen to women are not going to go away. Like, I think that maybe if you wanted to look at a silver lining of the Trump presidency, which I know is really hard to see, it's that it made people wake up Mm -hmm. and see that things were kind of rotten, right? My hope is that that's not going to end. Like people are going to be like, all right, we did it. Now we can go back to brunch, right? Uh, I feel like if people continue to feel motivated and engaged in that way, they're going to hold on to their feminist t-shirts, even if they're not wearing them. There's like a weird psychological connection yeah, there, I right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So I I mean, that's my hope, but there is going to be a day where they're just going to be – I mean, people – so many of them so many. were bought and I sold. Mean, so I mean, so many like, t-shirts are out there. Yeah, yeah. And you have to remember that like we've talked about some of them that are a little bit more iconic and – cool, if you will, but like Forever 21 was making feminist t-shirts. H&M was making feminist t-shirts. Probably Walmart was. And then you know how there's all those people on Amazon who sell knockoffs. Target for sure. And And people on Amazon who sell like knockoffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I guarantee I could go on there right now and find any number of feminist tees in cursive or some other font that (laughs) I hate. Cursive, exactly. So, so, and don't forget don't forget about the mugs, the enamel pins, the buttons, the stickers, the magnets, the desk plaques, the notebooks, the pens, the pencils. What is it? What's socks. a sustainable way to recycle or reuse your your feminist T-shirt? Like, what is there going <laughs> to be mean, a trend where people are so goddamn bored of the pandemic that they just start tie dyeing their feminist T-shirts and just maybe it's only a matter of time, uh, I guess. I know that's that's pretty interesting. Someone was telling me about how they'd found at the bins a quilt that was made out of Nike t-shirts. So oh perhaps my gosh, yeah. that's a good project. Yes, that's great. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think that is interesting. And I I mean, that's a whole other topic for me, which mm-hmm. is the 
nefarious business of graphic mm-hmm. tees because there's way too many of them. And it's like everybody's like, make a tea. Let's make a tea. Let's make a tea for that. Let's do this. Let's have teas for the bachelorette party, for the wedding. I'm starting to see those like those those vote teas all, all on sale right now. And yes. Like, Don't, why did you make the vote teas? Like, I get it. It's just gross. <laughs> it, just, it is like, gross. Nobody because- can wear it. No one can wear it because it says vote 2020. When are you gonna wear that again? I know it's so stupid. It's like a Christmas t-shirt, you know, yeah. Christmas comes every yeah. year, fine. Or like Halloween clothes, that kind of stuff. Fine, fine. Socks, yeah. Fine. Just keep bringing it back. But yes, I agree. I mean, this is something Dustin and I talk about a lot because like there's a tea for everything and it's always such a short life cycle. Although then again, there's someone like Dustin, like I found him in Operation Desert Storm t-shirt at the thrift <laughs> store and he was delighted. So perhaps 20 years from now, there's going to be someone who's oh, at the thrift store and they can out years. The feminist t-shirt will come back. You're totally right. Right. They pull out a shirt and it says, huh, the future is female. That reminds me of my mom. And they buy it. You're right. I don't know. You're right. No, it will come back because there's so many of them. There's so many. And they're most of them are black. I don't know why. That's just how it worked out. Everyone was feeling black t-shirts then. Well, because uh, it's serious. That means you're taken seriously. It's not yeah. pink. Yeah, that's true too. Although I did see some knockoff feminist tees at Forever 21 that were pink. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I know, oh. I know. Yeah. I mean, if you, yes, you, the listener, have a bunch of feminist tees oh, and yeah. you have an idea about them, please reach out to us. I yeah, I'm I'm like, I'm like, what would you do with them? Like put like dog, I'm like imagining like making them for dogs, like you obviously paint t-shirts. Um, there's gotta be something fun to do with them. You could, maybe you could like make a rag rug out of them or something. How do you reimagine them so you can wear them again? You know, I mean, it is a t-shirt. I mean, I don't know. I guess you get some puffy paint and you add some more stuff to it. Yeah, you know? like yeah. Because it's, even it's gotta be something. I mean, even a lot of these feminist t-shirts. Another problem that they have with them, which is one, is of course that they're completely oblivious to people of color, right? Is that yes. they also erase people who are gender non-binary or trans, right? It's just like yep. so short-sighted. It feels old-timey to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think that kind of wraps up this the hashtag tragic trend of the cult of the girl boss <laughs> and all the feminist tees. <laughs> and then yeah, and then we really we really got into the feminist tees just cuz I've been thinking about these yeah, feminist tees. Yeah, I know. I How many exists like how many t-shirts, feminist t-shirts do you have in your dresser drawer? And how many um, you know, like what was that little hat with the cat ears on it? Oh, uh, the pussy hats that they're called? Yes. I mean, I still there I still have a, like a warm place in my heart for those pussy hats because like those were just worn during this march and like my mom wore one and she took a picture while she did a march in Madison, Wisconsin and I was just I felt so proud of her, you know. You don't yeah, see those yeah. pussy hats really anymore, but you know those are going to end up in that those thrift store bins too. Oh my god, I'm going to buy them all. Then I'm going to wear one. 10 years from now I'm going to wear one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's really Interesting too. I mean, there was so much stuff that came out of that. Or even, you know, on a smaller level, all the photos of just trash cans piled with protest signs Mm -hmm. after the Women's March. I mean, 
It's it, it's just like we did it all wrong, guys. Yeah, come on, guys. Can we approach this in a more sustainable manner? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We don't need special feminist outfits for it. Just mm-hmm. wear some comfortable shoes, a warm coat, mm-hmm. some gloves, hydrate. Yep. You got it. You it got be this. any sex. You don't have you don't have to wear a t-shirt that calls out a sex. It's just yeah, just go <sighs> be yourself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And just Stand for things that you believe in. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of our first ever Tragic Trends. Um, yeah. You have anything else you want to add, Kim? Did oh my you gosh. tell people to leave a review? You did. Yes. I did at the beginning of the episode. But you know what? I might as well just throw it in here again as, hey, if you got a second, you know, Apple Podcasts. Just, you know, find us on Apple Podcasts um, and just give us a star rating Helps us get seen. Leave us a what? What do you call it? A review. A, <laughs> a review. Kim's hitting the canned margaritas. Okay. It's, it's, <laughs> I just finished one, and clearly, it's like it's it's screwing with my memory. Um, oh my god, I'm getting a hiccup. See, we've been uh-oh. drinking. Um, oh I also wanted god. to add that we listed a whole bunch of books and articles and. All kinds of media in this episode and the previous one, but you'll find links to all of it on our website, thedepartment.world. And you can also find us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. That's all. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with some more trends, both tragic and exciting. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.